Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. That means it's on the beat, InsideCarolina.com's beat writer podcast. Greg and Ross and I back at it. Last week, I had to sit out one. I was on the IR, Ross Martin hosted with Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall. So I appreciate y'all guys handling that when I was not here. Of course, Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com, our sponsor. Um, I'll start, Ross, with you since you brought the question up and you sort of said it off the air before we got ready. I believe the honeymoon might be over in Chapel Hill. Your take. Yeah, I mean, I said that because of what Greg mentioned on our Slack channel. But, I mean, it seems like, you know, you're, you're halfway through the – second season now and it's more results based and there's a little bit less leeway for the coaches and the players and I mean they've lost two games that they've been favored in and Virginia you know pretty bad record so far you would think UNC would go in there like they played against NC State and you know send a message and and, and be productive and win and the offense showed up defense made a lot of mistakes so yeah the, the media session today was was pretty rough uh Bateman certainly got grilled. Uh, Mac was a little defensive. Um, obviously, I mean, Longo's, other than maybe a couple of decisions here and there, Longo had it pretty easy because his offense put up some, you know, career points and – sorry, career marks and career records for certain players. And, yeah, so it's kind of like, all right, well, where is this team really? You know, it's uh, six games in now, and they've lost two games they should have won, and they haven't been prepared on the road. And those are times when you do look to coaching – and as we were talking off air, you know, it's not just coaching, but also players make the plays as well. So it's, it's a, obviously a, a turbulent time to be a UNC fan and be on the message boards and be on Twitter. As you see a lot of people hopping off the train and the ship that was, was rolling with the hype before the season started. Yeah, and then you get to fifth in the country and all, and it comes crashing down pretty hard. Greg, I guess I have a couple questions, but let's talk about Longo's press conference. I, I, how good is Carolina's offense that people are giving Longo heck after they put up 41 points in what, 550 yards, some odd yards? I mean, the play call was awful at the end of the first half. He needs to own that. There's, there's no – he just needs to say, yeah, that's on me, period. But Carolina's offense puts up those numbers. You have to win, period. Yeah, and I think the the odd thing here is, and I touched on this a little bit in the in the game scoop Saturday night, but I don't know if I'm ready to say Sam Howe is a, a generational talent for North Carolina quarterback. Um, he's getting pretty close. Clearly, the best I've covered at UNC, no no doubt about it. Uh, one of the best I've seen in the ACC. And yet, you're in this situation where he has to be perfect in some of these games in order for North Carolina to win. 
Um, and I think when you, when you look at it from that perspective, when you've got a guy that's playing as well as he is, I mean, if it were not for Trevor Lawrence down the road being a likely Heisman candidate, Sam Howell would be the, the ticket. He'd be the lead for uh, a lot of these sports programs nationally and regionally. Um, but the fact that he's been as good as he's been, and yet North Carolina is still struggling in some of these games against – I mean, let's, let's be honest about this. Virginia and Florida State, two teams that UNC has lost to, if you take out the UNC wins on their resume, who have they beaten? Jacksonville State, which is like an FCS program, right? And Duke. And Duke. And Duke's wins are Syracuse and Charlotte. So and, these are not, and Florida State had to scramble to beat Jacksonville State. They were down U- double digits at halftime. UNC's <laughs> a get-right game for these guys now. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so these are bad losses. I mean, we, we can talk about – how Florida State and Virginia maybe are getting better. Every team should be getting better as the season goes along. Those are bad losses. I mean, when you're having to rely on Sam Howell to be perfect, to have a chance to win these games, I and mean, he's been phenomenal. Um, I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in. I think that's why there's a lot of frustration kind of with Phil Longo and some of their issues. And, yeah, I mean, you've got you've to score there at the end of the half. Um, I, you don't have to be a genius to say, look, you got a couple shots in the end zone. If it doesn't work, kick the field goal, get out of there. Um, you know, to Phil's credit, he talked about, hey, you know, we've ran it before. I think they ran the same play against Virginia Tech. The idea is to hit a little swing pass to, to Daz, try to make it a race to the pylon. Uh, in hindsight, it, it didn't look like that was really ever an option, even if Daz caught the ball. But that was just a very poor play. Look, guys make poor play calls all the time that, that's part of the deal you have to accept it but the fact that North Carolina lost the way they did uh, hi- highlights that particular play and makes it a much bigger deal than it normally would have been look I, I love the idea of getting Daz in the space I think they need to do that more I, I mean was he really targeted that much you know I like the stuff in the backfield they do with him I always like but I think Tommy you had a, a, a big issue with this play I think you should talk about what went wrong with with that play call and what you saw in the play well, my thing is, is yes, I like the idea of getting Daz in space. Get it on a jet suite, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're going to the short side. Mm-hmm. Virginia has – Jason Staples talked about this great in the, in the day after podcast with Buck and I. Virginia's defending the goal line, right? They are going to defend the goal line with all they've got. And you're running a swing pass to the short side when they've got Snowden over there, number 11, and then I forget the other guy that we're coming. That is – Longo trying to impose his will on another team, not taking what the defense gives you. That's what – he was trying to do that on that play. And they got cute and it, and it backfired on them. Uh, my issue is a multitude of things. But like Greg said, and I said this on the day after podcast too, that play call requires the players to execute perfectly to even have a chance. And like Greg also said, it's not going to even have a chance if Daz catches that. He gets – at best, he gets out of bounds and have a chance to kick a field goal. Part two, Longo's press conference. It sounded like he didn't realize it was first down. And wasn't it first yeah, down I, after the pass I, I, I literally was, just yes. I literally just went through and, and transcribed all his audio for that. And I was it made it seem like he only had two more downs. Now, with time, he probably only did have two more downs. But he, I think he – it made it seem like – I mean – who knows? It made it seem like he thought it was third down. He says, but if it, we don't get it, we can kick a field goal on fourth. Yeah, well, yeah. So maybe that might have been – I don't, I don't want to blame. He might have just misspoke there. 
but yeah. when, when you start talking about the game management issues, those things, I think, at least become um, eyebrow-raising. You know, yeah. it makes and, you think, like, what are they watching? And on top of that, talking about game management, why didn't they have any timeouts? Because a player on yep. defense called a timeout on that first down play for Virginia. What was that, Greg? Do you, who was it and, and what was the situation? I don't know there? who it was, but players are not permitted. The only person permitted to call a timeout is Mac Brown. Permitted by the team or by, by Mac? Okay. Even if a coordinator wants to call a timeout, they have to go to Mac and say, hey, I'd like a timeout. And Mac says, okay or no. That's why big do you, boss. That's big boss moves right there, Tom. It's not that big. I mean, it's like that. Why do you think you see Dabo Sweeney sprinting to the goal line or sprinting down the sideline to call a timeout? Because it's the head coach's thing. Mac it's ain't like, doing. Mac ain't doing no sprinting. <laughs> we better get a runner down there to call a timeout. <laughs> get Hess out there. He'd probably run. That's right. Laps. That's right. That's right. But that's my issue. I have really no beef with Longo, and you can't with the offense they're having. I do agree with Greg is that there's other aspects of the game that are forcing the offense to be perfect. I mean, how many times they punt against Virginia? Like once, maybe? Once or twice? Negative, right? None? Yeah, none, right? None. How many times do you not punt in a game, you score 41 points, and you lose? So where does it fall on? It falls on the defense and special teams. Greg, I know you're writing an article about the special teams blunders. Uh, Mike Ingersoll and E.J. Wilson hit on this hard. Where's Trace Jones when Carolina needs him? You remember Trace Jones? That was Toe Groves' job. Yeah. I mean, that's why he was in the game is for sure handedness. That's the only reason he was in the game. And he sprints up up 10 yards and and tries to catch it in a a thing. Just – I'll ask it this way. We can talk about special teams. We can talk about the defense. We can lump it all together. EJ made a point, Greg, and I want to see your thoughts on it. He said it's just undisciplined. Undisciplined team. Fair? Unfair? Uh, it's kind of hard to argue against it at this point in time, right? I mean, when you look at the penalties. Two uh, key personal, personal yeah. fouls. I mean, come on. And if you – look, if you want to – if you want to argue, yeah, you know, we didn't really see the – didn't hear the whistle or whatever – I mean, the play was over um, when, when Chapman got his call. I don't know what Trey Morrison did, but Bateman clearly wasn't happy with it in the press conference today. It was a re- retaliation move, he yeah. said. I mean, we didn't see it. I didn't see it on TV, so who knows what it was. But. Yeah. But, like, Tommy, you mentioned Trace Jones. He wasn't in the game back then to return kicks. His only job was to catch the ball and get down. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had they got to the point where they had to go that route and say, you know what, we're going to scrap the idea of having a return man that can return a kick. We just want to make sure we have somebody back there to catch it. Um, so, but yeah, Toe Groves is in the game for the sole purpose of catching the ball because they like him inside the ten yard line because he makes smart decisions. That's why they had pulled Daz Newsom out. Um, but yeah, I mean, think about the special teams issues we've seen this year, right? You've had two muff punts. Daz and Toe. Uh, North Carolina did not line up appropriately for an onside kick against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech got it. Michael Carter, while he did have a very heady play Saturday in uh, recovering a, a kickoff and getting his feet out of bounds, which acts as the ball being out of bounds. That was a good play. He had the mishap, uh, I guess it was at BC, that really turned the tide in that game that gave, you know, forced North Carolina to, to take, start the drive at their own four. Uh, and then you had two block punts against Florida State. 
Grayson Atkins has really been hit or miss. I mean, he had a he missed a chip shot 22 yarder against NC State. So all across the the special teams, I mean, there's the only guy that you can really praise for their special teams work is Jonathan Kim, and yet he played a role on Saturday because what they wanted to do after that final score, because Virginia Virginia was ready for that onside kick. He was supposed just to kind of kick it down the field, down to the 20, let it roll maybe inside the 10. You know, maybe you can recover it. Maybe you can steal a possession. At worst, you pin Virginia back. He kicks it out of bounds. Um, so just a lot of miscues. And when you add all those things up, Tommy, it is undisciplined play. Yeah, yeah and I, mean, I think that – go ahead, Ross. People calling for Javon DeWitt's head quickly, after, after that. Quickly. I mean, geez, we, I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue it. It's like, what do you do? And, and I think Grace Atkins is off the hook now. That 51-yarder looked solid, but he has missed some in the past. But, I mean, I think that's the least of their issues right now because um, that kick looked great. Yeah, I mean, you just got to play the hook, man. <laughs> I mean, he needs to go play golf with us. So, you play the hook. You don't play the hook, you're in somebody's backyard. And, and before we move on on the Phil Longo <laughs> play call, I sent out a, a very um, a popular tweet at that moment. Tom was looped into it somehow too. Uh, <laughs> my whole thing is like people get so pissed at coordinators and like you, if you like them when they're killing it and making awesome calls and running up the score or playing great defense, you, fans bash them when they mess up. And so my point is, man, you got to take the good with the bad with fans. Like you, it's so easy to bash these coordinators when they make bad, bad play calls, but then you love when they make good play calls. So that was just my point. People jumped on me. Uh, about that and it was pretty funny so people got real weird i mean it's just fanatics you really see the unc fan base when they lose like this you see a crazy bunch and well, we love it because they pay our paychecks well that's a good thing too because people care about carolina football and i think exactly exactly that's something we could talk i'm gonna take a break that's something we could talk about after the break is maybe uh people got way too ahead of their skis We'll talk about it. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt. Um, I should always throw this read to Ross because, Ross, you handle it so well. But Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com, certainly is Christmas time already. Um, it is November 2nd, and my wife put a Christmas tree up in our house. So I got to get on the phone or get online and start putting on Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com, and load up those gifts for your loved ones, your friends, your coworkers, whoever you want to do it, sweatshirts, hats, anything you need great sales and if you're an inside carolina premium subscriber you get 10 percent off your everyday order go visit them when you're in town if you go to the wake forest game in a couple weeks go see them uh, they'll bring it out to your car you can socially distance shop great people alumni owned and locally operated you got to help them got to support them johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com national guys are going to pay the bills here we'll be back more on the beat ross martin greg barnes i'm tommy ashley this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, boys, uh, let's talk about the 800-pound elephant in the basement. And, Greg, I'll start with you first on this. Jay Bateman was not having any discussion um, that Chaz Surratt's underperformed. I found it interesting. You're a PFF grade guy. Um, What have those grades said in the last few weeks for Chaz? Uh, Said he's not uh, done so well. And I think that matches up. You know, a lot of times people see the PFF grades and are like, well, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. But I think all of us can agree that, that he has struggled um, this year. And look, we, we've talked about this so much that he really benefited from having two horses in front of him last year, made him look good, made Gimel look good. Um, and he doesn't have that this year. And the fact that he, he was so successful last year, teams are scheming for him a little bit more. And they were making sure to get a body on him. And so that certainly plays a role in why he's not been as effective. Um, But I think with regard to to Bateman, um, if you go back to last year, it's tough to find a a time in a press conference where Bateman has been critical of any player. Um, And a lot of coaches are that way. They, They would much rather just kind of praise publicly, criticize privately. I don't have an issue with that. Um, But, I think fans need to kind of realize that, that, hey, you know, we, have enough, we have enough film tape of, of Jay Bateman in press conferences. How about that? That's a, a nerd media thing to kind of get an idea of what he's going to be like when he talks to us. Uh, we knew how Fedora was. Uh, I think we have a pretty good understanding of how Mac is. We certainly know how Phil is. And I think Bateman's the same way. I mean, Bateman's a very, very sharp guy, no doubt about it. Uh, he's, he's fun to talk X's and O's with. But he's going to be very positive about his players. Um, and I, I don't know that's a bad thing. That's just kind of the, the fact of the matter. And I think that's more than anything, that's, that's why I don't know that he necessarily um, said that in terms of like, yeah, you know, I, I completely disagree. I think he's been fantastic. I didn't take that from it. I took it as more like, look, dude, I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to diss my player, um, mm-hmm. even, if there are been, even if there have been some challenges. Yeah, so Vip's question was kind of related to – are they missing Crawford and Strobridge so much? And, I mean, has that affected Vip's question, too? There's a couple of different angles that Vip was trying to get Clearly, at. Clearly, yes. Is the yeah, and I think my point is that, yeah, I think they're blocking him a lot better. I don't think he's gotten worse. I mean, you really think he's become a worse player? No, but I think teams are scheming for him after he was the you know leading tackler last year and second runner-up runner for ACC Defensive Player of the Year and they're sitting big bodies on him, and he's not a huge, huge linebacker, and he's not handling the blocks well. And the, Bateman's whole press conference was about players getting off blocks, playing better, uh, and making plays, and being in position to make plays, and that that's the issue. They're just not getting off blocks, not being in the right gaps, things like that. And that was kind of the, the summary of why the run game is struggling so much, and part of that is Chad Stratt as well. And the, I mean, the two first touchdowns were clearly his fault. He was in position to make the plays, and he didn't. So, it, yeah, and 
I like coaches not banging on players publicly. Dean Smith never did that. Everybody wants to refer to Dean, anything Carolina-related. Mike doesn't do it. Uh, and I don't have a problem with it. they got plenty of guys like us <laughs> to take care of that and certainly plenty in fan bases around the country. But I do think – and, Greg, I, both of you can comment, but, Greg, I'll, I'll let you go first. I think – this is something we've talked about repeatedly, but I don't think people realize how bad not having spring ball has affected everything, specifically on the defense when you talk about young guys getting reps, uh, young guys being ready, Chaz getting better, um, things like that, guys being stronger. I, I mean – if you look at the defense, you think everybody's pretty much the same as they were last year. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that has a ton to do with what's happened over the last eight or nine months. Is that just an excuse? No, not necessarily. But it, it's, I think for a team like North Carolina, it's very important, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like North Carolina's offense looks great. Why? Pretty much everybody came back to play last year. Um, and you're having to bring guys along on defense, and you could have used the spring. Um, and some people argue, yeah, well, that's the same case for everybody. True. But, I mean, like Javon DeWitt, he comes in, uh, doesn't get a spring ball, doesn't get to meet the players until summertime. Is he kind of working behind the chains a little bit? Yeah, of course he is. He, he's playing catch-up, still is. That's not an excuse. It's kind of the reality of the situation. Um, but I also think there are warning signs along the way. Um, you know, in the preseason, when, when Bateman's telling us, that of his four defensive linemen that he can count on, Zach Gill's one of them, and not to knock Zach, uh, but he's not a guy they relied on last year. And so that very clearly gave us an indication like, okay, a guy that has, has had opportunities and yet has not produced, he's one of the guys you're going to have to lean on. This is, a, this is a tough situation that this defense is in. Um, and so from there you get to a point of, I mean, this base defense is two down defensive linemen and then basically two outside linebackers lining up as defensive ends. That's what the defensive front is. If people get upset about teams having success running the ball against UNC, well, look, that's the situation that North Carolina's in. Uh, the spring play a role in that? Certainly. Uh, but there's a lot more issues at hand than just not having spring ball. Yeah, I mean, I got big takes on this. First of all, I'm getting, I'm getting blown up by political people texting me like, Literally 10 times a day now for voting. It's crazy. Well, it's like 36 hours away to be able to. <laughs> I'm getting I'm it up. It's crazy. Um, all right, yeah, I think this team just doesn't have the talent up front. And we've talked about – I mean, I've talked about this all the time. They're they're year, two years away from being where they really, I think, could have a really, really good defensive line. I mean, right now relying on Tamari, Tamari Fox, who's a good player, and a Juco transfer, Aaron Vahasek, who's a, a good – we think he's a good ACC player. That's all I got up front. I mean. Jaleel, uh, Jaleel Taylor, I mean, he's probably an average AC player, if not below average. He's not really playing that much. They're relying – those are three guys that are relying up on up front to kind of stop the run. And like Greg said, they're bringing in smaller, more experienced defensive end types to, to kind of fill up that line in Taman Fox and Tyron Hopper, who are both guys who are kind of that, that transition linebacker defensive end. They're not big dudes. They're, they're 240, 260 type players. They don't have the, the guys, it's, and I think that's being exposed right now, and teams see it, and teams are going to continue to see it after what they put up on tape against teams like Virginia Tech and Florida State and um, Virginia. And they're just going to keep pounding the rock right there. I mean, and then Gimbel's not huge. 
Chaz is not huge. I mean, they're they're good players, but they're they're not necessarily run stuffing linebackers. So it's going to expose now, and UNC fans have to be patient. I think, you know, next year you got Vahasic back. You got Tamari Fox back. You got Miles Murphy as a sophomore. You got Desmond Evans as a sophomore. You got Clyde Pender. You have all these guys who are getting more experience. So 2021, 2022 is when I think this defense can be really good. But uh, right now they're, like I've said before, they're relying on the recruiting failings of Larry Fedora and staff who left a huge gap in the defensive line that was – kind of filled with a juco transfer and now they're just kind of waiting until these freshmen and sophomores step up like where's christian varner where's kj hester they're still getting developed they're not ready to play meaningful minutes they're relying on a true freshman miles murphy to kind of be that third or fourth you know big defensive tackle and that's the issue and there's just not the talent right now and that's why they're getting gashed up front that's it greg you're 100 right and you mentioned a lot of names that we didn't see saturday greg yeah. and how can you develop them if they're if you can't do it in practice and you couldn't do it in spring? Uh, weigh me the differences of playing guys too early versus getting guys experience in games. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot easier for us to sit here and talk about how many reps these guys should be getting. Um, I think Bateman did a pretty good job today, kind of laying it out. But we saw it last year, right? You've got guys um, that are going to be the future of your program, and so they need reps. You're also in a situation where, and as Bateman said, you put some of those young guys in, I mean, like Cedric Gray at the end of the game, right? I mean, he, uh, without saying it, they pretty much blamed him for, for Virginia, you know, converting that fourth and three. Is he 33? Yeah. Yep. Um, that's a young guy playing. Um, and so you're going to have young guys come in. They're going to make mistakes. So you have to weigh, okay, we're in this game. We're down by 21. So you every single play matters do we want to risk at that point in time putting a young guy in to get him some valuable reps that may help not this week maybe not even next week but maybe next year um and mike has talked about the importance of that charlotte game not having it was critical i think the the western carolina game end of the year you may see the starters for like a quarter or so once they get up by 28 and then you may see three quarters of backups which is probably what they need that won't help this year, of course. It may help in the bowl game. But that's kind of the challenge you are. You're trying to say, okay, they have to get snaps to be able to be productive. But we need them to be productive in the game if we're in a close game. We can't have them messing up. And that is just a tough, tough line to try to walk. Yeah, the, the missing the spring and missing Charlotte, I mean, that's huge. And every team's had to deal with this, too. It's not just UNC's problem. Greg, so on that um, fake punt, did you – I'm trying to follow what Max said – they bring in a, a different lineup than what they would usually do for punt coverage because they knew it was gonna be, a fake was a possibility, right? Yeah, no, it's just a, a punt safe. So it's just a version okay. of their punt cover. Um, it's basically to, to defend against the potential of a, a fake punt. So okay. You've so, got everybody in there for a, for a cover. Um, and what actually happened, um, and uh, Kideon, I think I said his name, Thompson talked about it today with Virginia Media. Uh, that North Carolina actually showed a different look than what Virginia was expecting. Okay. Um, and because of a great individual play, he was able to, to get the first down. So credit to him for making a great play. Yeah. Uh, Max talked about it. But it's really a situation where um, Max said, he, they look and say, okay, well, if we, we just put a defense in there and they punt and they down it at the one, we're in bad shape. Um, there's a couple different things that they could have done that they were trying to gauge. 
And because that North Carolina had prepped for fake punts, because Virginia faked a punt last year, they had worked against it. They were able to see it on the sideline. The players on the field knew it, and they were pointing it out. Yeah. It's not like there was confusion. Like, North Carolina knew exactly what was going to take place. We all did. But Max's point is that they saw exactly what Virginia was going to do. They felt they had the proper punt safe unit on the field. That group saw it, and all they had to do was make a play. They did not make the play, and the game was over. It's that point. It's like, all right, well, why don't you put some of your better players in instead of Cedric Gray and, and DeCorius Conley? Maybe put some veterans that are maybe have, can be quicker and, and better to recognize that and make the play, like a, like a Gimel or Surratt. So. Yeah. yeah, like A.J. Wilson said, special, you put your defense, so you've got your goods against their not goods rather than your backups against their backups. Uh, I don't know. It was a – a series of catastrophic events that have caused Carolina to lose both Florida State and Virginia. Last question, boys. It's been a good podcast. No need to rehash too terribly much more. But, Ross, I, I'll, I started with you. I'll end with Greg, so I'm going to come with you here. How much is Carolina, the fan base, the coaching staff, maybe even some of the players, a victim of their own hype thus far? I think it's, it's deep. Yeah, it's too philosophical. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of uh, – there was too much preseason hype that Mac very quickly tried to quell even maybe even before the season started or, or into it. Because these coaches know what they have and they know what they're going against. And obviously when they started winning some games and got up to number five in the nation, Mac quickly, you know, quickly realized this team was not a, a number five or not even a top ten team in the nation. They proved that after two losses. Um, so I think it was a super a, a lot of amount of hype and, and we're I mean I, I'm a hype machine I mean that's part, we're of, my part of it yeah part of my job is to sell this content and get people to click it so I, I mean I, I feel the hype machine as much as I can to, to make money um, but yeah we, we thought this team was probably going to be a little bit better than they were you know we were talking about man they could go undefeated until they play Miami and Notre Dame in the season and we're seeing the issues and I think Greg's Column and Scoop uh, after the game kind of, you know, we kind of know what this team is now. They have a lot of deficiencies on defense. Um, you know, there's, there's some freshman mistakes. There's mistakes being le- made left and right. They don't have the depth. And I think those are things that Mac uh, worried about, the depth. And I think uh, the defensive line didn't seem like a concern, according to Jay Bateman and staff, but that's definitely a concern in, in our eyes. And, and that's where we're at now. So, Definitely too much hype, but it was fun. It was fun while it lasted, and I think they can still have a really good season. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they, there's a lot of games left. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – people were hopping off his bandwagon. Like, I mean, they were three points away from – they were three points away from being five and one. They easily could easily be six and oh now. I mean, those games really close, and one ball bounces one way, and they're six and oh, and everybody's dancing in the streets. So, I mean, football is crazy, and, you know um, – UNC football to be where they are right now, I think fans should be pretty excited, though. You always want to win games, and it sucks when you don't. Uh, I'll just tell a story now because I know he listens to the podcast. John Bowman, uh, former IC video intern, former roommate. He actually moved out this week. He had a three-month stay at Casa de Ross. We watched the game together, kind of our last Ross roommates. We watched the game together on um, Saturday night, and obviously I was working and stuff. And after the game, man, he was so mad and because he's a fan and obviously alum too. He ran to his room, and you know, obviously I had to work, and he was he was pissed because he was so hyped for this UNC team, and, and they got beat in the last couple minutes, and you just see that the expectations are pretty high, 
Like everybody wants to win these games and there's a lot of emphasis on winning these games and, and, and being a dominant football team and they're just not there yet. And so you're seeing that anger and that passion on, on Twitter, on message boards, everywhere. And I guess that's a, a good thing. You'd rather have people care than not care. And that, that goes for anything in life. Absolutely. Does John Bowman wear Javante Williams pajamas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He said, uh, he, I, I talked to him on Sunday. He said the, the Javante Williams Heisman campaign is over. They don't give Heismans to the four and two teams. <laughs> so, no, I think, I think the train has come to a screeching halt. I think they've done that before. They've given Heismans to like, didn't Lamar Jackson, they lost a bunch of ball games. Yeah. He still won it. Greg, uh, I, I think, and I'll speak to some of the people I talk, what they say. I think the frustration maybe or the disappointment or whatever, I think it's way too overhyped and folks get way too high and too low, but, I think it comes from the coaching mistakes, to be honest. I think that's the majority of it. I don't think it's a player thing. I'm sure somebody gets frustrated, you know, so-and-so missed a tackle and led to a touchdown or whatever. But I think from what I see on the streets, that a lot of people were frustrated with that angle of it. And, and that's an angle that, you know, as a fan base or as any fan base for any team, you shouldn't have to worry about the coaching side of it, especially when you got a guy like Mac Brown and, you know, what is thought to be a great staff, is it? I've got a little bit different take on this. I've got a more long-range perspective. Um, you know, when Mac Brown came the first time, there was an understanding that the team was going to suck for a couple of years because he was completely gutting the roster and rebuilding it how he liked. And it took several years for that team to be competitive. Uh, we are in such a microwave culture now that if there's not immediate success, there is a lot of criticism. Um, I actually think North Carolina getting to number five in the country this year is a benefit. Were they overhyped? Yeah, of course they were. But the benefit is – they were number five, and they got to deal with that criticism. They got to deal with that praise. They got to deal with all that pressure that comes with being a top ten team in the country. And Mac has talked about that. He talked about that last year. You know, after you after you beat South Carolina, and Miami, and they felt pretty good about themselves. What do you say? All right, you want to you want to keep thinking you're good. We'll see it. Let's see it on Saturday. Let's see how you play against Wake Forest and App State. Let's see if you can live up to that expectation. So now he can go back and say, look, you were number five and, and you blew it. So do you want to get back to that point? Do you want to experience that again? You know, it's like the, the golf analogy, Tommy. Somebody wants to break 90 or they want to break 80. What happens? You get on the back nine, you get to number 15 or 16, and all of a sudden you've never been in this situation before and you're incredibly stressed. And more than likely you're going to blow up. But the next time you come out and the next time you're in that moment, you actually have a little bit of understanding of what it's going to feel like. And the more you keep getting in that spot, all of a sudden it's normal. And you can break whatever threshold you're trying to break uh, with much more ease than you could that first time. I think that's beneficial. The other aspect of it is I'm of the opinion, like we talked about with the young players, uh, I, I get the coaching staff wants to win every game they can now. Um, you certainly don't want to have a losing season. You want to keep that momentum for recruiting and for the fans and all those kind of things. But if you know that you're severely limited um, and you're going to lose games to teams like Virginia and Florida State, um, you, yes, you should try to compete and you should try to get to the ACC championship game. You also have to think about the future and say, okay, we got to get these guys playing time. 
because we're, we're building a program. We're not just worried about this year. We want to make sure two years from now, when all these kids are sophomores and juniors and maybe even seniors, we're loaded. And so if we have injuries, it's not a big deal. If somebody gets hurt on special teams, we'll put a junior or senior back in that place where you're not having to put a true freshman in who hadn't played any games. And so it really is, you have to say, okay, where do we want to be three, four years down the road? And what can we do right now to help us get there? And we're in this situation now where everybody's just focused on the here and now, and all they're worried about is what happened against Virginia. Um, I think you have to be careful and say, okay, look, they didn't hire Mac Brown to turn this around in two years. This is really a, a five-year plan to try to compete annually for the ACC championship. It was never going to happen in two years. Um, the fact that they've been competitive, tip of the hat to them. But I really think next year, if they solve some of these defensive issues with Sam being a third-year player, that's when they have a legitimate chance to, to challenge Clemson. Um, and I, I think you just have to take it bit by bit and try to slowly build the program, even though everybody wants it right now, right here. Yeah, I mean, right here, right want, now. You definitely want to take advantage of Sam, and that's kind of why you're like, oh, man, I've only got, got this guy for one more year. Maybe two more years, though. Who knows? I mean – and um, that's why you want to take advantage of these moments when you have one of the best quarterbacks UNC's ever had. But the defense is just not ready for it right now. But they lose a lot of offense, offensive skill players next year too. I think Diami would probably go. Uh, Daz, Michael, Javante should go. So, I think you can replace skill players, but easier than you can replace defensive players. I could be mm -hmm. wrong. I mean, those guys are special. Javante and Sam Howell, definitely. I think, Greg, what you outlined there is the difference in the two – in Mac 1.0, 100%, and Mac 2.0. And it involves the microwave society we live in now. Mac come in, want to win now, and still build, but still win. Whereas, you're right, my freshman year at Carolina, boy, whew, those were some <laughs> – What year was that? The 70s? Uh, no, sir. 88 and 89, man. The two 1 and 10 seasons. And then, you've, been there the whole, you've been there the whole Mac. Like, your freshman year was Mac's first year? He was a – his first year was my senior year in high school, and then gotcha, my, gotcha. my freshman year was the second one in 10. But, nice. yeah, we were in Kenan every single time, and that, they were brutal. I, I was a bunting – I was bunting era. That was even more fun. <laughs> that, that was fun for different reasons. But, yeah, I think it's a process. I think it's a, a good discussion. Um, you know, Vip said something about we don't need to talk about that anymore because we'll probably be talking about next week again so i think it's probably a good time for us to knock this one off um, any basketball news no news just normal we're getting one player a week which is nice we had uh, armando last week not sure who of this week but you know one a week until tip off so instead of going to maui and hawaii tommy ross and i will be going to iowa and cleveland and Asheville. <laughs> oh, yeah i was like iowa is that where it's moved to I forgot. Yeah, they're playing in at Iowa. Mm, that'll be I think fun. You're go, I think you'll be going there, Greg. I'll be going to. I'll, be, I'll go to Asheville, but you can handle Iowa. Oh, Ross will take Asheville, so he can go up there with uh, we'll both, the we'll Asheville both go, lights. We'll both go to Asheville. Y'all boys have fun. It's been On the Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, Johnny T-Shirts, our sponsor. Inside Carolina is the place to find all your podcast news. Listen to all of them. Rate us, review us, subscribe. 10% off your order. Did I miss anything, Ross? That's it. I think I got it. Y'all take care, boys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. 
where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.